Friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and negligent murder priest. Wow, Alex Dandino. You can tell I'm not a biased juror. (laughs) All right, anyways, (laughs) before that, a little business, guys. Please take a moment right now. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. Uh, Five-star, a couple sentences while you like spending time with the show. Helps us defeat the algorithmic demons that be trying to take our baby what likes dancing in school. Uh, So that helps us out. Thank you for those of you who do it. We appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist, where you can find video versions of these podcasts, along with a lot of other fun stuff we're working on over there. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Or find us on all the social media you're on uh, to reach out and let us know movies you'd like to hear us talk about. New, old, double feature, theme for an entire month, or just guest hosts you'd like us to try to wrangle up for the show, guys. Uh, We want to give you what you want to hear, man. So uh, you guys letting us know helps us out. I do keep a big list of everything, so I do hear you. I see you. Thank you, guys. All right. That's enough business. This month. Our theme. This is the first uh, of our new curation. The pod takes the case. This month, we be entering the law, the courts, uh, the courts of the land, right? Tonight, our first movie uh, in the courtroom, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. This is a Scott Derrickson joint. Um, It merges one of my favorite things ever, exorcisms, with one of Alex's favorite things, courtroom procedurals. I had, so, no idea, I had no idea that was one of my favorite things, but I will take it. Yes. I found it on your Tinder account. Again, like long walking account. court. I think hacked. I What's going on? No, I made it. <laughs> no, oh, thank you. I made it as a bot. No, uh, Alex, why don't you open us up your initial thoughts on the exorcism of Emily Rose? I saw this movie in college. I love it. It's, um, it's you know, incredible. it's funny. I remember leaving the theater on cloud nine, which is weird for this kind of a movie. But <laughs> This movie really hit home for me. I don't know if you did this, but this was back in the day when they did the, you know, this is based on a true story. Yeah, I actually researched the real case. This was based on. I did a lot of research priest, because I, I was really specific. I was really interested. Like I've always exorcism is always a thing. I was raised Catholic. So like exorcism is always a thing that's very interesting to me. Like. It's my some, absolute favorite subgenre of horror is exorcism. Some of the weirder Catholic rituals are always kind of like fascinating to me just because they are considered very archaic. And I think exorcism is definitely one of those that people think is really, even Catholics think is really hokey, which is fascinating to me because, again. Do you ever go on YouTube and just watch exorcisms, though? I do. Honestly, like. That shit is it's, wild. It's fucking unreal. Whether it's real or not. That shit is scary to watch. So <laughs> when this movie came, I it was, it was it was my first year at Ball State. I remember being very into it. I remember wanting to sure, see sure. it. Um, I was kind of fascinated because, like, again, I'm not jumping out of my seat for horror a lot of the time. But, again, this hits a lot of levels, which is, yes, I do like courtroom procedurals. They're not my favorite genre of movies, but I'll take it. Liar. Um, But... <laughs> Even more so, just exorcism in general is going to get me there. And then on top of that, based on a true story is what's going to grab me no matter what. So 
I uh, I also did the research. It's actually based on a German case, a, a girl named Annalise yeah. Michelle. Two um, German priests, right? They're the ones that went on trial. Two German priests yeah. went on trial. Her family as well. Her parents were also put on trial for negligent homicide. That is kind of the weird give of this movie that the parents who are just like, yes. hey, man of the Bible, save our daughter. Well, and they just are sitting there like, I hope you don't go to jail. Well, I think what's interesting, like, I, and I realize on this viewing, I never, um, <laughs> I always assumed that the parents were the ones who were suing the priest. I didn't realize it was literally the state. Yes, right. I had the exact same thought because I was like, I totally blanked. Yeah. And well, I was like the guy who essentially was dressed like uh, the Clampets who just struck gold. There you go. Way to be a topical <laughs> reference, right? Yes. But he's like, let me get my finest lawman overalls on and throw my jacket on and go talk about how my wife got demons at the footloose dance. I was like, yeah. how is that guy not? Uh, a- but this is this is the brilliant conceit of this movie, right? Yeah. Because what it is, is it takes two things, you know, a courtroom drama. Right. This family ripped apart by, you know, illness and tragedy and this and that. And an exorcism horror film. And what I really like about what this movie does, the way they stitch it together is they kind of eradicate the worst parts of both. Right. Yes. A lot of courtroom procedurals. Right. Like something like the trial of the Chicago seven. I watched today. Right. What I wouldn't have given for a cutaway or two to some exorcism shit. Right. <laughs> um, or anything they did, you know, right. instead of cutting away to you know, Borat doing stand-up. Right. Let's maybe see some shit, but never that's neither here nor there, right? So this takes away some of the kind of legalese and getting lost in the, you know, objections and this and that that some courtroom dramas can kind of drag on. Yeah. And it also takes away some of the more boring parts of the exorcism movie, uh, the tropes that you fall into, which is the them all sitting there on the living room couch the next morning, like, whoo, that was something. That was a rough yeah. evening. In this movie, the way it's stitched together, you just take the two best parts of each and it, it actually flows extremely seamless, I feel. Yeah, like. I mean, it does really well. It does itself a great service at the very beginning by starting at the end. Like, I think that probably is the best thing is that it does um, the rock. Can I ask you a question, though? Sure. When you were, I don't know if you can remember back to the first time you saw it. Did that in any way strike you as, oh, this is where the movie's headed? No, because like, yeah, because I I am a notor- I I cannot stand. There's nothing I hate in movies and TV more than starting at the end, other than being like three hours long. But this one's cool because it does that. But it almost plays as this is the morning of. Well, I think what this does, re- what the movie does really well with that trope, because yes, it is done to exhausting effect. I, it is one of those things that like. If you're going to show me the end of the movie, like, what's the point of me even watching it? Like, yeah. that that's literally the point of me watching it right there. And you've just shown me the fucking ending of the movie. Like, well, I, it's just such an absolute lack of belief yeah. that an audience can pay attention for 45 minutes until you drop. A it's probably on one of my you know I mean? it's probably honestly one of my all time. <laughs> if you've ever watched, there's an episode of Rick and Morty. If you've ever watched it, just go watch the one about the purge that has this whole bit in it. And I. <laughs> Quite literally, like, spend the entire time waiting for that scene to come up because that's like the whole conceit of my problem with it, which is like, why don't we just start our stories where they begin rather than where they end? But here's what's great about the Emily Rose edict of doing that is like, by doing that and saying, like, this is because I assume it's the end because the doctor comes in. Like, doctors are usually made doing house calls, even in a farm town 
are usually doing house calls to call it for someone. But see, that's the, to me, it's, it's cool because it is an ending of a story, but it's also the beginning of the next story. Right. So there's right. a whole exorcism movie that happens before. Well, and I think that we don't watch. And then right. this is where, cause that opening is gut wrenchingly brutal. Right. Yeah. You see this man of the cloth and the house is kind of boarded up. There's fog everywhere. I think the fog is a really beautiful touch mm-hmm. because it just, it, it gets to the Rashomon thing, right? Well, that's what I was going to say. The two sides the and then the middle. I think that's what's great about the movie is it takes all the stuff of the exorcism, uh, anything that's like, of the, like basically by doing the Rashomon story with the courtroom proceeding, you avoid a lot of the shit that I think kind of like can make uh, exorcism movies a little tedious. Like we all know the beats we're going to hit in an exorcism movie. And instead we're getting like the highlight reel of a lot of this stuff. And that I think is made to like awesome effects so that in the, so like you see like the family's account and then you hear a doctor account like, Oh, well, this is like an explanation for why she was feeling crazy. This is an like that works really well for me. Rather than it being like, rather than it being a he said, she said, it's much more of a, this is what happened. And then this is the explanation for why it happened. It's well, it's, it's one of the things the movie does really well, which is again, that foggy opening. So we see a medical examiner walk into a room. We know this is not good. Right. Right. And the movie's called the exorcism of Emily Rose. It's right there in the title. Yeah. Pretty much all of this is going to go bad. There's a cop and a doctor and a, a priest by a board window. You're like, yeah, all right. This wasn't like brunch. I think right? the po- like, I think the poster alone should tell you some shit. Some bad shit went down. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's just this beautiful gut wrenching. Yeah, almost like a Truman Capote novel, right? Where it's like you walk in past this sad family and the dad's ghostly, right? And when they come back in and they they look at the priest, right? And you see this. I have seen an attack on the very nature of a human being, right? This body's been decimated, this young child. Um, and their faces, and then just arresting a priest, that's a very powerful opening. But that opening gets to this, the, the, kind of, the kind of duel at the heart of this movie is, it never all the way tells us what really happened, which I think is really cool. So, and it, that's the hard thing, and what made the case so interesting, right, is how do you litigate Someone saying, I fucking fully believe that my daughter had a demon in them, right? Right. And they say that, you know, if you see a man on the street doing that, you're like, oh, he's a fucking crazy person. But yet I have a church like right around the corner from my neighborhood. And every Sunday, a bunch of fuckers pile in there. And you're telling me they don't believe in the bad guy of their own fucking story club. Like, you know, and who am I to tell them that's your fucking life, you know? And but this is the fun question of the movie is what happens when? You have a belief, right? That's mer- that's based on nothing. You've just decided this is what is true. And then all of a sudden, there's a dead child, right? And where does the law come in and how far can right. they go? It's it's a really it's a really taut place to start a film. Right. I mean, I think that's what's interesting about the movie in general is that you're starting at a place as a viewer, you're starting at a place of skepticism. I think that's the really important thing about the way this movie's presented is when we're brought in, we are the skeptics. We're with Aaron Bruner, who's played by Laura Linney. Like that's our character. That's the home base we have is like, 
we also don't know the we don't know everything that happened yet but we all think it's bullshit and i think that's like it starts with like all these back a lot of these backdoor conversations about oh we're gonna prosecute a priest so let's bring in a catholic well this guy's a methodist is close enough like there's like this skepticism of like who should be the people to prosecute and who should be the people to defend and i think ultimately the really important thing about watching the beginning of this movie is that we all commit very, very, very quickly to Aaron Bruner's point of view, which is that there is an explanation for this. There's an explanation for this that maybe isn't spiritual. And I think that's what makes that is fascinating that you say that because that's the exact opposite experience I had. I came in and immediately I assumed that this was a real exorcism. And I think what's fun is, as I watch it, when uh, Tom, is that the lawyer's name? When he starts cross-examining, you're like, Ethan. Oh, yeah. You're the, like, that is kind of stupid. The guy, who, <laughs> the guy who Campbell Scott plays? Yeah, it's Ethan. Yeah, and so it's it's really funny to you. You're like, I'm a skeptic who's buying in, and I'm a, I bought in and then start, feel like I'm getting attacked, and you're like, no, it didn't happen. And I think that's the fun thing, right, is that Emily Rose becomes this, this uh, Rorschach test for where you want to start. Right. And I think that's one of the things, because one of the scenes – in the movie that is crushing is when he reveals the picture, the post-mortem picture. Oh yeah. That's brutal. And it's, it, it's one of those things that we skip a lot in horror movies, right? We see a lot of devastation and brutalization and, you know, a lot of horror movies just play as a slaughterhouse. Right. But taking this really kind of quiet moment and just making people sit and like, Hey, this is what fucking happened. Here is her decimated body. The sick girl who could have been saved. And it just gets this really powerful emotional connection that a lot of horror films can't garner. And this is without even seeing any of the horror yet. So it, it sets up this, this beautiful juxtaposition right away, right? Is that it's saying, cause a lot, I think a lot of horror and I watch almost every horror movie that comes out. I try to see, right. And a lot of the reason that so many of them don't work is because they fail the character test. You never actually give a shit. Right about what the character does or what happens to them, right? And this one, without Emily being even present, her just being that fucking poster board has such a gravity right. in the center of this story that a lot of movies can't muster. And so then throughout the film, they never tell us what happens. So that image, that ending image of her played at the start kind of jades the viewing experience, I think, either way. I mean, I think that that's a really important jumping off point for anybody in the movie. Like, while you and I have opposite, like, you and I are not religious people. I think we've noted that several times on the pod. <laughs> but you're believing in this. You're believing in the exorcism. You're believing in these kinds of things simply because we want to. Like, we want to come to this place. We want to come to this and re think that there's something else going on. Because well, I think it's do you want to start in a horror movie or do you want to start in a court thriller? Well, but that's right. This is the important thing about understanding Aaron's point of view. And the reason it's important to like start where Aaron is as opposed to starting where you and I would normally come from, which is like, of course it's of course it's real. Like exorcism is real. Like that's of course where we want to start in this movie because that's where we're trained to start with. And that's yeah. what's so fascinating about the way Scott Derrickson frames the whole thing is because it starts from this place of skepticism. And like, I like starting in that time. I like starting in that mindset with Aaron Bruner because then it makes all the things that start happening to her that much more terrifying for one, 
but also right when she starts hearing the testimonies when she starts listening to these people when she starts really understanding what's going on it's not a matter of convincing um tom wilkinson's character the i can't remember the priest's name off the top of my head but like it's a matter of it's not a matter of convincing him to take a plea deal it's a matter of coming to the understanding that emily's story needs to be told and it's coming around to his way of thinking which is like i have to tell emily's story that is a really important part of this movie and the thing that i always like about it is that he won't take the deal because he thinks the story is too important to tell that i mean and that's like a great that's a great place for a character to start like that i think i want to get to that but i want to address something you brought up though is i think again this getting back to I think you some of us want to accept it's a horror film right away mm -hmm. because when they show that poster board with her on it, if it's not horror, it's way scarier. Absolutely. If it's demonic possession. You're like, oh, well, that's not right. me. I didn't go. I didn't go to some, you know, devil school with a with a dance and boys that want to kiss me. So I'm good. Right. But if it's something that, oh, my God, these parents and this priest. It's actually way scarier. Absolutely. If the demon possession's not in the film, right? Just, Which is wild. It's just mal, mal, <laughs> it's just mal everything. <laughs> yeah, because then you're like, oh, we're just fucking horrible people. And yeah. this poor girl was crushed. Um, the priest in this movie is actually <laughs> really interesting to me. And I think the way Tom Wilkin, is it Tom Wilkinson? Yeah, it's That's Tom it. Wilkinson. The way he plays it is so funny. I did not remember this, but I found him so fucking hateable in this movie. <laughs> I thought he was such a sack of shit. And I totally felt different all those years ago. It was a new experience for me. Well, it's weird. There is this like, I can't disagree. Like, to be honest with you, like he is, he is kind of like, it's a little grandstandy and there's a lot of this sort of like, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's a Catholic priest. Like there's a lot of, perceived notions to what that is so you sit there and you're like you fucking grandstanding sanctimonious asshole like you're gonna tell this girl's story for her like how fucking dare you why don't you just let us yeah. pay attention it's like so i think from that point of view yeah he's a yeah completely hateable person but like once you get that's why aaron bruner is such an important character like i know she's the lead and of course that makes sense but like she is important in that she has to be the relensing we do for the priest himself. It's the only way it works. Cause if it was like, think about if it was reversed and she was the prosecutor and Campbell Scott was the guy who was defending him, it would be so much worse. Like he would be so fucking hateable the entire movie, but because but Laura Lenny would be awesome at but either. Laura one. Lenny so would be good. great either way, but she would just, I mean, she fucking decimated like the whole thing. would be like, <laughs> clearly he killed her. Like there's just no way around it because it's Laura Lenny, but like Laura Lenny and the way she plays it in the way, cause her starting to become victimized. Like, cause Tom Wilkinson's characters, like you're under attack, spiritual attacks even though you don't believe in this, it believes in you like that kind of thing. It's, it's a really important thing. I think for Laura Linney's character and Bruner to experience this stuff so that what we're essentially doing is going through the very, very, very limited motions of what maybe things Emily was starting to experience so that when it comes time for the priest to actually say like, I am speaking for Emily, it doesn't seem so sanctimonious. Instead, it actually feels more confessional. 
I think that's well, it's really like cool. when uh, Ethan's cross examining him, he's like, You're really God's gunslinger, aren't you? Yep, and then and it's there, fucking there told out. A, there's a there's a, a bit of this that, and it's funny because if you believe in a God or something like that, mm-hmm. I think everyone who believes in God and religion are desperate to have an intimate communicative relationship with their God. Right. Absolutely. So it makes sense that a priest sees himself as someone who can communicate and that he is somehow important in the cosmos. Cause guys like us that don't believe in anything, it's like, yeah, I'll be dead. And I hope that my family put me in like one of those root tree balls. That's my like dream. now. <laughs> like put me as a tree somewhere so you can come sit in my shade. Right. And I'll drop fruit on you for betraying me. No, anyways, but you know, it's it's probably more comforting to be like, there's a you know a big lovable guy up there with a beard who's gonna let me into my cloud mansion, and you know I get it. But you want that to be a communicative street, right? So Absolutely. this guy imagining it, there's a beautiful moment where he walks out of the house after he thinks he has witnessed like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna start exercising this thing, mm-hmm. and he walks out and he turns around and sees Emily playing the piano, right. And the way it's fucking framed is beautiful because he's out on the porch and he can't see her right away. And she walks in, right? And the way they're separated through that window in the porch and he walks forward and turns to see her play and then walks off as she walks into the house, right? Mm -hmm. It's just this kind of beautiful passing two people heading in different directions shot. Yeah. And in that moment, it's weird because I didn't see him looking at her as, oh, this is someone I love. And I say, because they keep talking about how much he loved her. Yeah. And what's really funny is the film feels like it's playing from the defense's perspective more than the other. They never show a scene of him and Emily just talking nice or getting along or no. And so I think what is weird when I was younger, I didn't latch on to the fact that he has to be hateable. You cannot play this as the lovable. Like it can't be miracle on 34th street, right? Where Santa's on. It can't be lovable Santa Claus. It has to be someone who's, it has to be someone who's willing to do the deed. Yeah, really we have to believe thing. that there's a chance that he is responsible for that brutalized photo. Absolutely. Right. And so it is because I just remember it as like, oh, he was this nice old codger priest who was getting railroaded. And I watched it this time. I was like, this guy fucking sucks. He could have taken the deal. Like, I think that's a really it's a really important thing that he will not take the deal because he believes he needs to tell Emily's story. And it's it's continuously throughout the movie the job of that side of the story to prove why he has the right to do that for me personally, yeah. at least like it's interesting you bring up that scene. Cause that was actually something I noted this time and I never really remembered why, but I always thought it was so that we actually could see maybe there is that from the side of the prosecution um, concept, which is she's just staring out the window when he's walking out of the house. And then as soon as, he starts approaching then she walks towards the piano i'm like am i supposed to maybe think that maybe she is not maybe it's part of the gag like maybe she's doing but the the visual language is telling us that there is this huge divide between them right so laura lenny and them are selling us this bit that father father moore is that it father, father moore, moore that's what it is. thank you yeah he loved emily he cared so much there's not one fucking scene in the movie that oh. does that. And it's it's wild that that's not in there. But again, as soon as we see that scene as an audience, we're going to want to accept that as the truth, right? right? Because then it makes that picture easier to suffer. So it's it's just a lot of... Because I think you could argue that this the, the actual lawyering in this movie is 
absolute fucking bananas. This is a kangaroo court, if ever there was. Like, every legal maneuver in this movie is fucking nonsense. I mean, like, there's not one bit of lawyering. I mean, as far as court court. procedures, I can't tell you. Again, I'm, I I have only known, and I can tell you this definitively, I've known one trial lawyer in my entire life. One who like actually gets up in front of a judge and delivers a certain, sure. delivers a whole thing. And I asked her, it was when I was a kid and it was one of my parents' friends. And I asked her, I'm like, I love law and order. Is it at all like that? And she goes, no, not even close. I'm like, cool. So yeah. every time I've watched anything regarding. Sure. Let, let me be on front street, right? I am no legal scholar, <laughs> right? I do this. I watch movies and say dumb things about them on the internet. I'm not a legal scholar. But I'm pretty sure if you're like, I call to the stand, scarf lady. And they're like, ma'am, can you and your 55 scarves come up here and talk to us about, you know, cultural soul shock or whatever? I was like, no, 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 no. That's actually one of my favorite bits because fucking uh, Campbell Scott, (laughs) Ethan Thomas is like, I'm sorry, ma'am. You're like, objection, your honor. I don't know hilarity lunacy what are we doing here like he- well no because he said he says the monks is one of those things that was driving me nuts i'm like the lawyering in this movie is so bad it's as if the lawyers did not prepare at all and they just are like throwing jabs and they do that like walking brushing past each other all the time but it's it just nothing they're saying makes sense on how you would do a trial in my mind and again that's only from watching hundreds and thousands of movies and tv shows about it that are apparently nothing like trials fine uh, but when he objects and he goes, I don't know, your honor, silliness, like the grounds of that's, silliness. I'm like, that's silliness? exactly what's happening. He spoke as if I had a psychic antenna into his fucking basic square ass to make him say exactly what's happening in my frame. I mean, that scene, that scene particularly is interesting because it's. It is peculiar, like, and I mean, that's like one of those pull out all the stops bits is and it's before uh the doctor comes forward who is that but it's like it's just insane because they're like we need a doctor call scarf lady and you're like why wouldn't you just get another priest just get another priest who seems more credible well i think they panned the jury and it's just all old flanneled whites yes so i'm like guys come on what what well and then they just they keep doing this weird shit you know the reason they don't get another priest i mean like that's obvious but I, but that's what I mean. It's it for a movie that's so. It just feels so. He Derrickson feels so in control the whole time, right? For the courtroom stuff to be so insane to me, like there's just weird shit. Like, oh, you had a doctor, and I was like, that's like one of those things. You're like, oh, we just needed like a plot device. We had a doctor. This will clear everything up. Or at well, the end when they're like a. Uh, Oh, actually, we had this note from Emily the whole time that, um, yeah, she just kind of wanted to die. She had accepted. I'm like, you didn't think to read that as your fucking opening statement that, hey, the priest is a good guy. Uh, demons are all up well, in me in the I mean, Silent Hill. There's what you're talking about. And then there's dramatic tension in a movie. Like there's those are just things that sometimes have to Again, happen. I, un- I understand what we don't do on this show is rewrite the movies for way more talented professionals. Those felt like. The courtroom Just stuff saying. felt silly, even if the acting was phenomenal. And the way they laid out, because if there's really something about this movie that had stuck with me crystal clear, it was Jennifer Carpenter's performance. Yes. She is 
I mean, it's it's fucking stunning how amazing she is in this movie to switch from happy girl on a journey to school to fucking absolutely terrified to like evil demon voice. Um, It's crazy. It's it's amazing. And this is one of those they talk about with actors. Absolute total commitment and immersion. Yes, that. There are a lot of great moments, right? Like there's the the one that really I remember the audience just being appalled by was when the boyfriend wakes up and she's just all fucking twisted. Oh yeah, it's terrible. On the floor and you're like, <gasps> and it feels kind of small, but it's, you know, it's it's grotesque. Well, it's but she's that, twisted and then her her, her face. Oh, her face is horrifying. But that's what she has this beautiful look, right? Her eyes are like fucking enormous. Mm-hmm. And it's whether she's mad or happy it just feels like more of that is pouring out but yeah in that barn scene i was like she is going for it so hard yeah i remember reading a story that i forget his name the linger the lead singer of slipknot uh was doing like his guttural bellows and screams so loud and so hard and so much that he actually one of his testicles exploded jeez like he was going like his, his fucking testicle exploded the lead like, singer from stone sour my god yeah from slipknot uh, i was like if jennifer jennifer carpenter had like metal testicles they would have exploded from how hard she was demoning in that it is she has some pretty pretty clad iron lady balls in this one though the exorcism scenes in this movie are really good to me i was surprised how many people i was reading online were like me I was like, I think this shit is really good. I love the exorcism. See, and I think this is where, this is why I like exorcism movies is because, yes, the exorcist is, of course, always the gold standard for a lot of these kinds of things. Like, But people forget, like, the exorcist has a lot of supernatural elements in it. Like, stuff mm-hmm. that almost assuredly would never happen in real life. This, the reason I love this exorcism scene more than anything is because everything about it feels believable there's nothing that happens in that room there's nothing that happens in that barn that doesn't feel like it's something that could possibly happen in the scenario like mm. her yeah like her guttural screaming oh, is God. utter She's terror unbelievable she, to be honest with you like every time I, I i actually like pull up the clip just in general just because it's so good on youtube when she starts listing off the names of the people inside her like, when she's just like, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five. She's like, and I am Lucifer and I am the devil. I was like, oh my God. That is one of the most fucking metal scenes. I, I was just like, it's just, and again, Ooh, give me shivers. It's one of those, I know, I just got that too. <clears throat> there's like goofy shit happening in that scene, right? Like when the cat, like I was like, if a fucking cat jumps up and takes your old ass down, like, you shouldn't be battling. By Satan. the way, a fucking you can't fucking, cat lady is the one with all the fucking cats in her house who shows up like, <laughs> Well, I was like, Fuck are you. we? Did those demons smell like? Do they smell like demonic catnip? <laughs> She's like, come, come, like the witch, like come, flying monkeys. But I was like, dude, you can't be battling the devil if a fucking house cat's gonna take you down. You yeah, have style man. and tap you to kitten strikes. I was like, that's fucking ridiculous. Like you can get scratches and shit, but like, come on, you got to be able to stand up to a cat, you know? And then like he's like, ah, snake on my robe, you know? I was like, this is. But that's what's funny is because you're right. It all feels realistic a lot of the times right but then it also has this element of 
it sounds exactly like someone retelling a story, right? There are these extra elements. Like when she jumps out the window, I was like, what? It's like this awesome wild moment, but you're like, is that what happened? Or did she run out as they were fucking, you know, fighting Heathcliff, <laughs> you know? And then they just added that to, you know, because when people start, re- you know, if you have that friend and they've told the story, well, yeah, like once the you tell the story. first time or the 50th time, and it's it's a cinematic product now, right? Absolutely. It's all worked out. And you know where the, the hits are. You know how to take the breaks. So it's really cool that the exorcism scenes at once play as realistic and true. And as someone embellishing them, and when they cut to like Emily seeing the face in the clouds, right? When they cut to seeing that as just a psychotic reaction, that also works perfectly. It all... It's really fucking awesome the way that plays out. Yeah, I think that the Rashomon vibe where you get the her like it's interesting because like her story, like the things where people describe like what happened to her, and we sort of just see like the horror of it, like her horror element, like from her perspective. That's that's very fat. That's very to me. Like that's really interesting that we see the whole product there, and then when they cross-examine with like a doctor or something like that, we literally have just like the sound bites of it. Like, can you explain this? Oh yeah, she's a crazy person. Oh yeah, she didn't take her pills. Oh yeah, this kind of thing. Like that to me is a really great. That's to me is a really great thing and a really great way to understand like the skeptic the skeptic versus the believer argument and like the movie is all about like the real summation of the movie to me is all about faith and about having the faith in like having the faith in yourself to see things through and having the faith in yourself to be present part of it like that scene where she reads like yes as weird as it shows up like he's just been holding on to this letter i agree as far as logic goes, not the most logical moment, but to great dramatic effect, it is one of my favorite moments in the movie because it is just like this, it's this eerie calm. It's not good calm at all, but towards the end of the movie where we've seen just like brutality on brutality, to have this eerie calm that doesn't bring you any solace at all, to not give you any sort of like there's no reconnoiter for her at all. She's going to have to go. She chooses to go through this. It's, it makes it all the more terrifying. Like when yeah. the, it, because she chooses to continue on, like there is, it's, it's hard because that, I think this is the thing I like the most about the movie is there are no good answers for anything. Everything is, everything is debatable. Everything is up for debate. There's, oh yeah. There's, there's well, nothing. he pulls out the, the stigmata and then the scene that like crushed me was when he's like, this wasn't stigmata. This was a girl who found a barbed wire fence. And you see Emily just grabbing that and bleeding and she just looks like she's somewhere else mm-hmm. in her face, right? And I was like, that moment is just a beautiful, perfect little example of what this movie crushes, right? Yeah. Is that, yeah, we kind of want to believe his version, but it could just be this fucking version. well, and I think and that's the, the movie's thing. full of scary things like that shot, right? Like how the mom just casually, well, everything was fine until she went to school right. and boys and de- like the way she just keeps saying shit like that. You're like, that does feel sc- if you heard someone else say that about your friend or like that would be creepy to you. You'd be like, dude, it's not a school dance. What? Yeah. So the movie's just loaded with these little kind of floating 
bits of scary to us well like the whole movie is just all these it's all these loose ends like there's nothing cleanly tied up because it's all based on your perception it's based on what you choose to believe is happening truly to emily and well whatever side you decide to fall down on whether you decide that she just has borderline personality and a serious chemical imbalance in her brain or perhaps she actually is being tormented by tormented by spirits tormented by demonic forces like either way you can't either way you can't discount her experience and i think that's the really fascinating part is like no matter what happens in this movie some this was girl suffer so yeah like the point of the courtroom proceedings is to determine the blame for suffering but and this is the fascinating thing about um father moore is father moore is literally there not to escape judgment at all, but instead to like receive it in full. He never lets it go. And yes, wildly hateable guy for being like, literally like, like call the doctor and force feed this girl. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah. Well, they did that. He wanted her to eat. And I'm like, okay, like I want my two-year-old to eat. I make sure that shit happens. There's a doctor who was there (laughs) and saw the whole fucking exorcism. And you're going to sit there like, I tried like, yeah, motherfucker. But well, I was reading for 15 days that he's going to get the death penalty, but I guess. okay. And then when the doctor bitches, but see, this is actually one of the really good things they did in this movie. I noticed back to your concept of faith, right? It's really fun to watch Laura Linney's journey because they begin to hint at she thinks she's being haunted or possessed. Right. Right. And there's no evidence that anything like that's happening, right? This is a stressful case. She misses a day by oversleeping. She claims something happened at three, right? She walks around. She drops a glass. Something happened at three. Oh, no, the fucking doctor who's probably feeling immense guilt for letting this priest get the chair and letting this poor girl just mash her teeth and face eating drywall uh, is having an emotional reckoning and runs into the road and gets hit by a car, right? In my mind, I was like, that's a classic moment yeah, from the omen. Right out of the omen. But then you're like, but they don't really dwell on it. There's not a lot to it. It doesn't feel like the omen, right? It doesn't feel like there's an evil hand. It just feels like a fucked well, up situation with a guy who had broken, right? And then they even play her last case. Oh, he killed again, and it's because she got him off. And they kind of hint at, oh, this is part of the dark forces. You're like, no, she fucking got a murderer off. Right. She knew murder. I mean, like, I think that's the thing is like to everybody else, it is happenstance. What's fascinating is watching Aaron's experience, realizing that it's or having the sense that it maybe isn't. And I mean, yeah, I, she begins to buy what well, he I selling, love, like, I, which in a way could make him more scary. Right. It's a really cool day. Well, that scene where um, the prosecutor, Ethan, says like, well, you're like God's gunslinger, huh? when but it's preceded by i really love father moore's story about like seeing like being woken at three o'clock and seeing the uh the cloaked figure like nod at him mm-hmm. like that to me is a really great that's a really great horror movie moment but it also is a great exorcism movie moment because how many times have we seen that stand down that standoff in these kinds of movies where you have just like man of god versus the devil himself that kind of bit to be punctuated by like just the bitchiest remark in a courtroom like oh god's gunslinger huh real cool rooting tooting ted huh 
<laughs> okay. By the way, the, the fucking standout side character is the woman who plays that fucking judge. She's like counselor. <laughs> she's, she's so, good. so great. She's so she's good. Just all the she just looks like, but she looks like me watching the movie where I'm like, this is not just how the whole works. Just, I think just the stoop. This is shit eating great. Like, come on, guys, you're better than this. Well, because everyone else is in this really like. There's a dead girl slash exorcism movie and she's in an episode of night court <laughs> yes and it's she's so in an episode it. definitely of svu like where she doesn't have to be the <laughs> judge the whole time but she's like waiting to be the judge Counselor. she has so many of the, she has so many of these great like like good lord you're better than that like there's all these like great little pithy one-liners because by the way for being supposedly a great lawyer Aaron Bruner gets so much extra help from the judge throughout this thing. Like yeah. Ethan's over here making all his fucking quips and she's constantly being like, Oh, it's like objection sustained counselor. You son of a bitch. Like, yeah, man, a lot of help from the judge. Like she never gets fucking busted. What if she was the cloaked figure that the fucking <laughs> father stared down? With? What's up? She's letting him loose so he can kill more people via slow exorcism starvation. This fucking judge is a plan. I knew it. I, but no, I mean, it's, it's fun. There's just a lot of, I think what you said best is that there, it's just all loose threads, this movie. Right. And I think what's beautiful about how it comes together is it feels so shitty at the end of the movie in a weird way that you're like, I don't feel like Emily's story was Mm -hmm. told. Right. I was told a lot about it, but you still are just left with this suffering. And like Father Moore, the jury just absolutely in the moment of the most cowardice ever. If there's God, they're going to hell. And if not, they let out a fucking child murderer, right? Just moment of cowardice for sure. They're like guilty, but just let him out. It's cool. He killed a kid, but like he should walk around. It's fine. Um, And then uh, Father Moore has that, you know, sometimes you look in the darkness and it'll haunt you forever. And you're like, oh, you're going on a book tour, huh, motherfucker? <laughs> oh, you're about to make some cash, oh, yeah. dude. And then uh, Aaron Bruner at the end is no longer af- afraid of her clock, right? She saw the darkness, but she'll be fine because she gets yeah. to make rent <laughs> and spins her clock around. And I was like, these motherfuckers are just oh, yeah, moving dude. on. They were in this weird performative thing for each other, commiserating. And I'm like, they don't give a fuck about what happened to Jeez. Emily. And I, again, I think this is me grafting this onto the story because I think a lot of people would think that's an earnest true. thing, right? And I think that's why this movie is cool is because you get amazing horror moments that separate what would probably be a really tough, you know, slog through this child murder mm-hmm. case. And then in a really smart play, they don't try to answer the question of, because they, they make that joke, right? you're going to try to litigate God and demons in a courtroom. And the movie's just like, nope, nope, we're not. If you believe in uh, all that stuff, then this is an exorcism movie. This priest was innocent and he just did his job. If you don't, this is, uh, you know, finding the loophole. And God, look what these defense lawyers get away with, right? And it's just this courtroom maneuver, right? And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, impressive to me how how deftly we walk between all of these different parallel realities i mean yeah it's 
it's impressive and it's fascinating because you're left at the end of the movie to make your own conclusion altogether. Like to decide, do you want this to be like, and it's not a matter of like, was it or wasn't it is what do you want this to be for you? Like, I think that's probably the most powerful thing about the movie in general and about the way the story is presented to us is it's never a, is it or isn't it? It's what do you believe? it's a really important distinction. And I think it's something that a lot of the time exorcism movies don't do very well. And this one does particularly not just because it has the auspice of a courtroom drama involved in it as well, but because it's never taking sides. It never takes the side of a horror movie. It never takes the side of an exorcism. It never takes the side of a courtroom drama. It never even takes the side of a skeptic. What it does is it says, you it presents it does exactly what a courtroom would do to a jury which is it presents us all with the evidence and then it says you guys make up the your, you guys make your decision what you want to believe if you believe this is a great horror movie and if you believe this is a true exorcism it is yeah well imagine because the movie shows us uh the one sister finds her yep. eating bugs we're taking her word for that right or the other sister comes in and sees her in the bar. What? You know, just testicle exploding levels of screaming and rage. And it's it's asking us, right? Do we accept what that child's telling us? Or is that a scare child? So everything is this untrustworthy kind of narr- narrative lens, right? And the, the scene that it really hit me this time was there's kind of that cheesy ass of the time horror moment where she's seeing the, yeah. uh, the you know, <laughs> cannibal corpse faces yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, we're we're middle band. <laughs> yes. And it's just like, God, did we need that 10 times? That looks like <laughs> shit every time. Uh, but, you know, the idea that this lady's losing it and when we see it not with the, the you mm-hmm. know, bleh, it's actually even scarier, right? But when she goes in that church and she leans back and she's like, don't touch me. And she lays down and, you know, Jason, please don't leave yeah. me, right? Just like this vulnerability, this whore in her face. In that moment to me, right, we see Emily being all things at once, right? The the scared girl running, that he can go, the boyfriend can go be the white knight and save her. And then she scares the fuck out of him because something's wrong. And then, please help me. So we see the way that all of these characters are in a way crafting Emily mm-hmm. to us. And the only truth we see in Emily in the entire film is that fucking really horrifying picture. And that picture being the only true Emily makes this an infinitely more engaging and scary movie than, uh, you know, fucking sorority exorcist five, you know, this time the sister fights back, you know, it's whatever it is. The right? only times we hear or see the true Emily, the photo, and then the letter, the letter being the only other real true examination of who her, or you know, is it? That or, kind of felt like a hostage letter. Well, <laughs> I mean, I would even go as far as say, is it her or did Father Moore? Well, write I mean, it? she's on death's fucking. Did Father Moore? Write yeah, it? I mean, he's just like, oh, I have a letter that exonerates I mean, me. There's a right? whole other side of that. Like, that's a really important. Was thing. she just was she out of her mind at that point on death's doorstep? You know, exactly. We don't know. It's a really we don't fucking know. She's talking about how she's like a new saint right. and a martyr. What do you, and all this what do you decide? Like, you know, what is it? What What do you decide? Yeah. And then like even Father Moore says at the end of the movie, he's like, she will be 
canonized. Like he says, like she'll be a saint someday. Like she says that shit in the letter. How would I not assume that you fucking wrote the letter then? And also old uh, father book tours, like, and guess who will be mentioned in every one of those saint merchandises? Me, right? Because I'm the one that don't exercise her into a merchandisable character. I did it. You know, yeah, I don't I'm know why he's like a but fucking plantation owner. <laughs> I, I I don't know. That's just how I envision him. Because I think he's this fucking evil, shady bastard. But again, I think what's cool is I bet if you asked 100 people, you would get a lot of wildly different things, right? Like, what do you believe in this movie? And I think what is really cool is if you bring this out into real life, what do you fucking believe, man? It's the question that we all grapple with. Why are we here? And, you know, a lot of people turn to religion to try to make the world smaller and easier to understand. And a lot of us want to just say, fuck it, we got nothing. And we think that makes us better and smarter. Doesn't. It's just easier for us to say nothing instead of accepting the fact that maybe there is something. I mean, and that's what this movie does. It just leaves it open and it absolutely milks as much horror as it can uh, while, you know, kind of delivering milks, this really dramatically I think it milks horror story. from places you didn't expect it to, which is what makes this movie particularly resonating. Yeah. The mom was extra scary this time to me. There's just a lot of that, you know, even the father's shtick. But I think the thing that is really scary is that we never see Emily gets accepted to college and we see her and her sisters jumping in joy, right? What immediately follows that is the mom busting the door open. What's that joy I hear? And then she gets a letter and she's not like, congrats, Emily. I'm so stoked for you. She goes, your dreams are coming true. I better tell your father. And I was like, is father about to get the whooping stick out? Like, what's happening? Oh, get me a switch. Yeah. Go pick Go out pick your yourself a switch. Come back on in. What have I told you about this book loining? Maybe that's when it happened. Who knows? But that's what I mean is <laughs> there's all these little things. Because when I watched it the first time, I just accepted it 100% as this is an exorcism movie. The really nice priest got off, right? That's how I saw it as a college kid. When I saw it today, it was a very fucking complicated, muddy affair. And it makes the movie so much better. Agreed. That's it uh, for the case of Emily Rose, uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose. The verdict, this movie kicks ass. Kicks I really enjoy ass. it. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Uh, I hope you enjoyed spending some time talking with us. We'll be back all this month with more courtroom uh, cases. We also have a lot of really awesome guests lined up. So uh, those will be dropping on Tuesdays, hopefully. So stay tuned for those. You can uh, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod, especially Apple Podcasts. That helps us out so much, guys. It really does. Thank you. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Phil Malcolmist, if you want to see these faces. Uh, you can email the show, philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all the social media if you want to see how our hot girl summer is going. So, uh, you know, get at us, guys. And most of all, thanks for joining us. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tandino.